93.9 The Eagle, broadcasting live from the Zimmer Radio Group World Headquarters. This is the CEO Roundtable with Fred Perry. This city is my city, and I love it, yeah, I love it. Get ready for interviews with movers and shakers from our community as we dive in for a deeper look inside Columbia. Now, here's your host, Fred Perry. And welcome to the CEO Roundtable Show. Fred Perry, your host this weekend. Glad that you have tuned in. Uh, very pleased to welcome back my friend to the show, Mike Murphy, who is the publisher, founder of uh, ComoBuzz.com. And uh, uh, he is the one journalist, uh, and I would say I will lump you into print journalism, even though you are completely digital. Um, but, you know, long form journalism, I mean, you, you are really covering some great stuff and, and uh, a lot of things we're going to talk about today. But uh, appreciate your in-depth analysis. And, and it's always a pleasure to have you in the studio, Mike. Thanks. I'm happy to be here. The uh, there's lots of things to dive into. One of the things that, uh, well, I guess first let's just tell people what Como Buzz is because there's probably people that have tuned in saying what the heck is Como Buzz, but it is an online digital magazine that basically has a pretty good accounting of everything that's happening in local government. Uh, you have chosen for some reason to cover microbreweries and uh, marijuana, uh, but mostly local government. Yeah, which is probably the problem with local government. Yeah. Well, we recognized or i've recognized for some years now that you know i spent 40 years in daily newspapers yeah and, and, and i kind of wrote daily newspapers to the end and there's nothing replacing daily newspapers and there's nothing uh paying any attention to local government yeah at all basically is the end near oh i think it's passed yeah. i think it's treading water now uh, uh the paper newspaper the print newspaper is as good as dead um there's nothing in it and and you know they're putting no money in it and uh, what I'm concerned about is we have to separate out journalism from the old print newspaper, whereas largely where it you know used to take place at. Yeah. So uh, obviously it's moving online. That's the space where I've moved and trying to to provide some local journalism where I feel and I think many others feel there really isn't any. There's very little um, oversight of local government, and I think we could we could fill up uh, days and days with examples here not just in Columbia but across the country now especially in towns like Columbia where it is very similar uh, without oversight or without the sort of this watchdog element that newspapers always provided mm -hmm. the, the, the fear of being outed in the newspaper I think has enabled some bad behavior at local government yeah I would tell you as a former county commissioner I was uh, Often glad and often mad that the media wasn't there covering our meetings. You know what I mean? I, mm -hmm. I always said, oh, I'm glad a reporter didn't hear that. Mm -hmm. um, but then also disappointed when things would happen that there wasn't a reporter to pick up on it and say, hey, um, yeah, that's a that's an interesting news story. And that is an abuse of power or whatever. But, you know, the other thing that I I think is sort of. I had a professor, I, when I worked at the Columbia Missourian as the advertising director, I, I had a boss who was a community journalism professor, a guy named Ed Hines, and, and one of the things he used to say was that freedom of the press begins with economic freedom. And, it, and it's never been more true because uh, what happened is that the financial revenue models for community journalism have failed. And so community journalism has failed. And so uh, because there's not the money there supporting it, 
um, it is, it's basically gone away. And you see that in the Columbia Tribune. You mm-hmm. see that even in the Missourian, which is heavily mm-hmm. subsidized. But, uh, you know, Missourian is doing by far a better job, I think, than mm-hmm. they've ever done, uh, in, in at least my 40 years of reading the Missourian. Um, you know, back in the day when I was forced to subscribe to the Missourian, uh, as a journalism student, I, um, I resented it, didn't like it, but, Today, I'm very thankful that we have the Columbia Missourian because they do they do a reasonably good job in terms of getting it in print. They yeah. get some things wrong and they don't understand the context or the history. Right. You know, and so right. thank God we have Como Buzz because yeah. we can uh, fill in all the blanks and get the, the real story. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. Uh, we would certainly we don't want the Missourian to go away by any means because they're out there and they do keep you informed they give you an idea of what's going on for yeah. sure uh, yeah. now if you need it explained or you need to understand it it gets a little more a little more complicated and they're often more disappointing on the same hand that's not exactly what they set out to do either yeah so yeah there's with the demise of the tribune and a little bit more mature or uh, experienced or the ability to do some type of enterprise journalism uh, left in town there's just really not very much being produced yeah and that's the space and the role that I envision for Como Buzz and um and we're doing good. I mean, we got it off the ground here in the last year. I think our uh our buzz if, for lack of a better way mm-hmm. of putting it is good. I think word of mouth is good. Uh I think that the subscription model is the future. I I am fully I feel so enabled by it because you you mentioned earlier about the the financial model that the hardest part about newspapers is you're always you know you always had the advertisers out there and the, mm-hmm. the influences and it was difficult to navigate uh i only answer to myself and to my subscribers yeah. and that's yeah. the best feeling that i've had in you know 40 years in the business i've so, noticed that about you yeah, <laughs> yeah. so i i focus on i think of uh readers like myself i've always been an avid reader of you know newspapers and i try to provide them with what i would like to you know be provided with which is uh being honest and uh as forthright as possible and trying not to mince words and uh trying to provide them what i would would like in their shoes and i would happily subscribe to como buzz and i i hope more people do yeah um i certainly do and i would encourage people to do that and it's it's only 9.95 a month or 99 bucks a year uh and uh, you can find out more information on como buzz c-o-m-o-b-u-z.com get a good look around for free too i mean you spend a lot of time on it be- see what's there before that uh paywall drop down on you it's um you know when i was in college uh i wanted to become the uh, Republican version of Woodward and Bernstein. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And that was uh, uh, my grand ambition 40 years ago. Uh, I wonder what kids that are in journalism school now, what they aspire to be when they leave the news editorial sequence. Uh, you know, because there aren't the great reporting jobs that Missouri graduates used to always fill. You know, and so what do they do? They just go straight into PR? Yeah, try. they want to be on TV. I think one of the big problems that, so I, so I need to hire a couple. And I, and I you know, I ultimately I will. And I'm looking forward to it. The hardest problem is you can teach them a little bit about reporting, you know, and you can teach them how to write ultimately. Mm-hmm. But what they lack is that uh, sort of like passion or perhaps chip on their shoulder mm. or willingness to want to go, uh, you know, challenge local government officials, uh, not want to be their buddy, not want to be part of the in crowd, not want to just be there to get along, but actually take your role seriously of uh you're there to uh 
keep them honest and yeah. hold them accountable. It's actually pretty easy to find a millennial or a Generation Y or a Generation Z with a chip on their shoulder, actually. I Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you're right about that. Uh, but I find but if they can just channel it in, uh, uh, in a positive direction. But here's the thing: I'm yeah. not seeing them come out of J school. <laughs> oh, okay. They're definitely out. In fact, in fact, in my uh, mind right now, I'm looking for them, even without journalism training. Yeah. Because uh, I, I just the kids that I'm seeing that coming out of the journalism schools, they're just I don't know of a better way to put it, but they're just too friendly. Friendly, you know? yeah. yeah, and maybe a little biased. Yeah, I think that. I don't know. I, I guess you hate to say that, but I but that's what I see. I well, mean, they, they have a disposition that uh, makes them predisposed uh, negatively to business, uh, to conservatism, uh, and uh, you know, money. People with money are evil people. Mm-hmm. You know, and know. and that's and that's a predisposition. That's a predisposition yeah. that I think you get in journalism school. And they don't have any life experience. They haven't been down to the. They haven't gotten the DMV yet. You know, they haven't had anything. They haven't. They haven't mama been, always did it for Correct. Them. They haven't been worked over by government in any way yet. Yeah. Uh, so they have a lot to learn yet. And and I think that that results in this sort of like this lack of desire to go do what it is that, you know, I go do. You know what you should do? You should create a video game based on <laughs> local journalism. You know? Yeah. I think you would be much more successful if you could somehow put a joystick into the mix. Yeah. You know, uh, think yeah. about it. It yeah, could be a million dollar idea. You're right. Well, Sitting right here. And what you're talking about is it is a hard job that is not like fun or glamorous mm-hmm. to say the least. You know, spending a lot of time in meetings, developing sources, understanding issues uh, for very generally speaking, very modest. If you don't get a lot of personal satisfaction out of it, there's not a lot of reward. There. Yep, that's true. So I think uh, when you see journalism sort of like dying out around the country and a lot of it's. Uh, based on the, the economic conditions and just the, the way the world is transitioning, you're also seeing more, fewer and fewer and fewer people who I think actually want to practice it at the level where, the local level where you have to go generate, you know, local stories. Yeah, I know you pretend to be politically neutral, so don't don't take this against yeah. me when I say this. But you know, when you hear stories, and I I hate to, uh, the reason I'm saying this is because Fox News is up on on the wall here, and it, it's reminding me of of how wrong the world is right now. But you know, in, in the old days, um, some enterprising reporter from the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal or the Washington Post would have had the complete story about Hunter Biden and his bribes and and mm-hmm. uh, the money that he's received from outside people. Now it's up to a congressional committee to get the information. And and so in in the old days, the media would would be that watchdog and they would they would carry that water. And so you just um you know, and then what, what all we see now in these in these these hearings and testimonies is, you know, there's just two different sides of the aisle fighting and uh, no one's really paying attention to the facts. The third estate, the fourth estate, whatever it's called, uh, journalism, uh, used to be that, that great arbiter that could, could say, well, here's what the facts are. You know, to decide for yourself. Yeah. At the national level, it's a disaster. Everybody's divided up into, into tribes and advocating for one way or the other. I get asked all the time, constantly. That's what people want to know about, you know, me when I'm out doing stories. And what I just, the reason I avoid it is because it, it interferes with reporting news. So uh, with Councilman Nick Canos' conflict of interest, 
I don't have to be one side or the other. Mm-hmm. I can report that from the facts. When we talk about Airbnbs and, and neighborhood development, now you can, you can jump partisan right away, but if I avoid that, I can, I can pursue both sides of that issue. Yeah. Uh, all our, the, all of the disasters we have going on at City Hall, I don't have to be progressive or conservative declared to go cover that. Yeah. And I think when you are, you're sort of your credibility, but the credibility of your story and really what you're talking about, it gets lost. So that's yeah. why I fight it so hard in uh, in local issues. Now, if I was at the State House or in Washington, it'd be harder. Yeah. But in Columbia, Missouri, covering local issues. And uh, there are plenty of local issues. Correct. And you, know. and you don't need to be the least bit partisan to, to dive in and tell people what's going on with those issues. I, I don't know why the uh, righteous progressives in this community don't don't object more to what's happening in local governments because it, it really, uh, I mean, you, we're going to talk about the city's budget and there's so much in that budget to pick at. And, you know, we give so much lip service to, uh, certain causes in our community. But when it, when, when it comes time for the rubber to hit the road, uh, you know, we're just not there. Uh, let's talk about Nick Knoth. I, you have spent a lot of ink, uh, uh, on, um, Nick Cano, tell me at the root of it, why should the average person in Columbia be concerned about this new job that he has taken with the Missouri Association of Realtors? First Ward City Council person, uh, pro business, uh, we, we thought, we, we believe he is, uh, or at least a reasonable person. Uh, we were happy to see him get elected to city council, the business community was, mm-hmm. but, uh, he's, you believe there's a conflict of interest there, and so does Black Lives. No, what, what's the name of the organization that, uh, Race Matters Friends mm-hmm. here also has a problem with it. Why, why should the average listener be concerned about that? Well, first of all, the integrity and the reputation of the city council is going to be damaged by this. Mm. They have, they have no goodwill along those lines to spare. They're already disparaged uh, constantly. Uh, the, the average person out there believes, a lot of people believe they're corrupt. Uh, you will constantly hear uh, how moneyed interests are what makes things happen. You have to have connections. Uh, y- y- you know what I'm saying. The, yeah. the reputation about the integrity of the city council is not good. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. there's that. And they should be concerned about that. And I don't think they are. I think they should be. But beyond that, it's simply this. Um, there, there's a lot of noise around this, but it's simply this. Uh, Nick is good. And I like Nick a lot. I think he's going to be a really good councilman. I thought he was going to be our best councilman in no time. That that bar is pretty low, but Mm -hmm. I'm, I was a Nick fan and I'm saddened. (laughs) I'm saddened by this. But at the end of the day, uh, he is, he is now a, uh, a lobbyist for, the uh, Missouri Realtors, which mm-hmm. and, and the and the Columbia Board of Realtors is an affiliate of that. Mm-hmm. They're a powerful lobby. They're they're organized. They're funded. They're they're involved. They know what they're doing, and what they do is they advocate for their members' property rights. So during the day, he will be spending his time and being paid to advocate for his members' property rights. Then at night on the City Council, the Columbia City Council. What, what, what becomes before every issue in Columbia that has to do with a subdivision, a development, a rezoning, where to put infrastructure, uh, any kind of conditional land use uh, proposal, the city council presides over that. They make decisions on that. So the people he's going to be advocating for during the day, he's going to be passing judgment on, on behalf of the city at night. And I don't see how anybody who really looks at that cannot see that that's just a, a, a blatant conflict of interest. Mm-hmm. So that's what I've been pointing out, even though I know people want to argue it the other way. And, mm-hmm. and, and I'll, I'll accept and listen to the argument. I just, I just think that 
we'll put it this way. Every single decision he makes is going to be questioned yeah. along the lines of him being paid to work for the people who he's making the decision on behalf. That's Mike Murphy from Como Buzz. We'll be back right after this on the CEO Roundtable. You're listening to 93.9 The Eagle. This is the CEO Roundtable with Fred Perry on 93.9 The Eagle. And welcome back to the CEO Roundtable Show. We are visiting with Mike Murphy, the publisher of Como Buzz, this week. Uh, we were talking just uh, in the last segment about Nick Knoth, uh, First Ward City Councilperson, has taken a new job uh, with um, um, the Missouri, Missouri Association Real- of Realtors. Yeah. And so, Director uh, of Government Affairs and Regional Advocacy. Yeah. So, uh, and, and you know, a, a perfect example is. Uh, right now, probably the biggest raging issue behind the scenes that's going on is this battle over how we're going to regulate Airbnbs. Yeah, short-term rentals. The uh, Columbia Realtors are the driving prominent uh, opposition to asking for reasonableness in the upcoming regulations. So it's the neighborhood advocates, uh, people concerned about affordable housing, um, homelessness, they really want, and, and then other people, for, there, there's principles other also involved here that just have to do with, you know, what kind of businesses or activity we're going to allow in residential neighborhoods. Complex issue. But the Board of Realtors is in the thick of it, totally. Yeah. And, and now Nick, sitting on the council, works for the Board of Realtors. And all I'm saying is, he's going he's gonna to vote. He's going to vote the, the way the Board of Realtors want. That's a natural thing. He probably would have anyway. Yeah. But now, every time he does that, he's going to be accused of being purchased and paid for by the Board of Realtors. And the fact of the matter is, that's true. So the integrity and the reputation of the council, I think, is further damaged here, which is exactly all basically the definitions of what a conflict of interest is and does. I, you know, for me, it's refreshing to have somebody on the city council that pays attention to property rights. I think that, you know, so many times uh, we have this terrible attitude in Columbia of not in my backyard, not in my backyard, at, at any cost, not in my backyard. And, and you know, I, I had a very interesting situation 15 years ago, I, uh, and it was my backyard. I happen, My house happens to sit on two acres. I was going to subdivide a small portion of my property to uh, build a duplex, and uh, the neighbors, all of my neighbors, came out against me because I was going to take away their park. And um, they wanted to have a community orchard in my backyard. They wanted to run their dogs and not pick up their poop in my backyard. And uh, my property rights were being taken away from me because my neighbors wanted my backyard to be their park. And, you know, as a as a parent of two small children, I really didn't want all the neighbors in my backyard. And and uh, and believe it, you know, there's there's tapes of this. This is a real story. But, you know, I felt like. Nobody was advocating for my private property rights. And so it, it, but you see this when somebody wants to build, um, you know, either multifamily housing or affordable housing. Uh, they just come out in droves and, and just sort of they're, they're against it. So maybe Nick, maybe the advantage of him being well schooled in property rights, uh, can be that one advocate on the city council for private property rights. You know, I think you're totally correct in the fact that. Columbia is almost over the top in resisting people's individual property rights. Yep. I mean, I'm, I'm writing a little piece uh, 
uh, soon, uh, this lady from uh, Arrow Rock wanted to put this really high-level, expensive vending machine that, oh, that yeah. vends out gourmet pizza machine, yeah. gourmet pizza late at night. Yeah, and uh, she thought she had it all done. She was going to do it in McAdoodle's parking lot, and then she found out from the city that that parking lot wasn't zoned for activity after midnight. And she couldn't put it in, mm-hmm. it, and that's like this, this, such a Columbia story. Yeah, there there is there are no neighborhoods around McAdoodle's. I mean, who was going to be interrupted well, by somebody she, ordering a, a pizza through a vending machine? At two o'clock in the morning. To common sense, it's it, it makes no common sense, and there are so many regulations that people have to fight in Colombia like that that make no common sense. Yeah, but you would but, you would think a Nick Knoth would stand up and say, "Wait a second, you know this was a revenue opportunity for for the owners of the Macadoodles property or the developer. Uh, we're taking away well, his ability to 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 make money." And now that and now and now that he was on the city council. That's excellent, and he was probably going to do that, and that's a wonderful thing. But now that he's taken a job and has, is being paid a salary by the people who advocate for the same yeah. thing, mm-hmm. I think it crosses crosses a line. So, if you work for the university and something comes up that benefits the university, is that also a conflict of no, interest? No, you no, not if you put it out there. If it happens occasionally, uh, Brian Treese, I just wrote about that here this week. Uh, people want to make comparisons. Treese was a lobbyist; it was okay. Why is it not okay for Nick? And it it convolutes the issue. No, everybody comes to council with supporters, with people who financially gave them money to be there, with uh, uh, known conflicts, and they in the, they're they're out there. And occasionally, every once in a while, somebody abstains from voting or has to. It it, it makes the newspaper, or, yeah. or you know, we talk about it. But what we're talking about here is half or more of the council business. Many, many, many times every meeting, again, every subdivision, every development, every rezoning, every infrastructure, where you put a sidewalk, every single one has a real estate agent who has a financial interest in those decisions. And to have a man that they're paying to advocate for them on the city council, I think lower is going to lower people's regard for the integrity and the reputation I of the council. I don't think the regard for the city council could, <laughs> you don't think get, it could get much any, lower, to, is, to be honest with you. There right? is that. Um, so I think some of the best reporting you've done, and it's been a couple of months since I've had you on the program, but your coverage of the city's budget for 2024 um, uh, was remarkable, very well done, most comprehensive. We, you, you did not read any of this in any other media in, in Columbia. And so... You know, some of the highlights from the budget that, that come from your reporting that I would have never known about it had it not been for your reporting, um, is, uh, this year's budget is, um, 533 million. That's an increase. That's a, uh, is it a, a increase of almost 15% in additional spending over 2023 numbers, according to your reporting? Correct. Which is, you know, and that just to break that down to raw numbers, if you can't do the math, that's $68 million more that we're spending. We're hiring 23 new positions. Um, we're bringing the wages for city employees above market average, which, you know, it's kind of interesting that we were intentional about bringing, uh, the those wages above market average because that means that the county is now going to have to bring their wages above market average that means the university will then be forced to bring their wages above market average and it's just a uh, it's a pissing match that really nobody ever wins uh, the taxpayers especially don't win it well you know? every employer is going to have to bring yeah his, that's right because we're all competing mm-hmm. and, and these are large employees in our in our town um you know, one of the thing, what's interesting to me is, and I think this is lost on most people because this used to be part of normal reporting and we just don't see these numbers anymore. But 
double-digit growth in sales tax revenues. And I remember being a county commissioner. We were hoping to get between 1% and 2% growth in, in sales tax revenues. And I remember back in the 80s and 90s, we did have remarkable growth in, in our sales tax revenues, but not like we've had in the last uh, couple of years. And, mm-hmm. and a lot of that is, you know, due to um, new taxes, uh, uh, marijuana sales, recreational marijuana. Uh, we have property taxes, which, you know, look, uh, I don't know if you've received uh, your escrow notice from your mortgage uh, bank lately, but it is it is property taxes are going to increase 10.3% uh, in the city of Columbia. Um, you know, other taxes are raising 18% uh, for gasoline, motor vehicle. I mean, just the hotel tax, you know, and, and granted, local citizens don't pay the hotel tax, uh, but their relatives do when they come to stay for a wedding or for vacation or, or Thanksgiving or Christmas. Uh, but it, it is, there's so much money rolling into our local governments right now. It, it is a heyday. It's a windfall. And I don't, that's not being reported in the local media. And, and, uh, you know, we used to really have to worry about every single expenditure, uh, line item, but it just seems like it was a free for all this year. Um, and, you know, I, I think that plus you have the American rescue plan dollars, you know, the city has said, well, you know, we got, uh, $25 million from the federal government. We're going to take 5 million and just keep it for ourselves. Okay. And so, you know, does that, is that really the spirit of the way that the American Rescue Plan dollars were given out by the federal government? Who knows? You know what I mean with the with the current crowd uh, running things. But um, you know, you, you look and here. Let me talk about some of the new positions. Uh, two. This is amazing to me. <laughs> this is a city that is constantly talking about how we need more cops. We need more firefighters on our street. Two FTE positions out of the 23 were added to the police department: a custodian and a senior administrative support assistant. Zero officers. Are you freaking kidding me? You know what I mean? How does that happen? And so I'm glad they're getting a new custodian. I'm glad they're getting another secretary. Uh, but don't we all want more cops on the streets? Yeah, the budget's basic intent is to reveal government's priorities for yeah. the next year. And you hear them talk. I've, I've been saying this more and more. It's come up a lot recently. You hear them talk when the officers are outraged and you hear the mayor saying, oh, I, I support police now. Or you hear the city manager after them say, oh, I support police now. Mm-hmm. Prove it. I just roll my eyes because you have to watch what they do, not what they say. You weren't supporting the police when you threw those two cops under the bus for arresting the kid outside of Harpo's. Well, that's where this all kind of began. And now you can see. It's a defund. It is a very passive aggressive defund the police. Uh, movement in our, in our on our city council, you know, from the top down, uh, and then the fire department they they got two new positions. But here's what they're using the money for: they're going to get a public information specialist. We need more of those because there's no freaking media uh, in this community. And then they're also getting an assistant fire chief, one more chief, uh, and and no Indians. Uh, maybe that's racist. I shouldn't say that, but uh, anyway, it it is uh, shocking. Uh, that that's the way that that's the way we're growing, and then we're getting this new, uh, whole brand new department. Uh, uh, what's the name of that, Mike? The housing and uh, neighborhood services. Housing and neighborhood services. And that's all code for, and, and this is why they anger me so much. They they they're not forthright. This is to address affordable housing. Well, I'd like to hear a little bit about how they <laughs> intend to address affordable housing. Yeah, because is, in, the, in the same breath, they're talking about the increase in fees uh, yeah. that's going to be the largest contributor to the city's revenue. And the the fees that they're imposing on home builders and, and lot development uh, is one of the reasons we don't have affordable housing in this community. That's correct. They need to address that. Maybe this guy will. But what I think this is about is it's to take all of this trouble we're having with homeless 
and uh, put somebody in charge of it who isn't there now because nobody wants to deal with it now or is equipped to deal with it now. It's basically creating a new department to uh, manage or at least throw responsibility for some of these issues we're having with uh, uh, homeless. Yeah, I, you know, the the enterprise funds are interesting. They, these are funds, these are divisions of the city that are not designed to make a profit, but to generate enough to cover the needs of the services they provide. So, you know, the largest line item there is electric, $162 million, almost $163 million, uh, water at $35.7 million, sewer $29.7, solid waste $31.8 million, stormwater $4.5 million. I wonder how that money's being spent. Airport 6.4, uh, that's the one I agree with. Uh, parking 4.63 million. Transit. Oh my gosh. Br- buckle in, folks. If you're driving your car, pull over to the side of the road. You need to hear what the transit budget is in the city of Columbia. 11.84 million dollars. And these are buses that run around our community, uh, empty. Now, the paratransit is a little different story. I, I, I have a lot of respect for the work that they're doing because there are people who generally need that that door-to-door service uh in our in our community uh but the transit 11.84 man transload this is i think that is the facility that's out by the solid waste facility that unloads cars from trains correct correct now the last i heard we don't have a train running in columbia anymore correct no that's not correct we do is it running into the city? Because I heard no, that there was it stops. A- well, it comes to uh, the lumber yard on Route B. Okay, uh, mid mid city lumber or whatever that's called. Yeah, that's, but it, but it, it comes that far. Okay, it uh, it actually crosses sixty three. Uh no I no think no it no used no to. that's Route I think B. It used to. oh yeah Dev definitely used to yeah but no now what they want to say is it's not going to come across. Um, well, that's where Mid City Lumber is. It's on the other side of sixty three. Oh, yeah, you're they right. Moved uh, Boone County yeah. Lumber. Boone that, County Lumber is still downtown. Right. They don't yeah. come down there anymore. Okay. So they stop. The furthest they come is to uh, the lumber yard on Route B. I think it's called... Um, Mid-City. You're right. Yeah. You're right. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, and, and they still well, do Which come is only there. less than a mile from the, the landfill, correct? Correct. Okay. Mostly, they, they serve basically three customers right now, that lumber yard, and then the two that they've originally served out there... Um, the Eagle, JM Eagle or something like that. And then the place that makes lubricants that's right there oh, yeah. on, uh, right Honeywell. around the corner. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right okay. around the corner there. Yeah. That's the three, uh, primary, although they just got a new contract from, with the, uh, Thomas Hill power plant in, uh, Moberly is going to bring, um, coal, no, uh, waste like fly ash down here in trucks, put it on the train and they're going to, they're going to take it, uh, by train up to Centralia and they're, that's going to, prop up their profitability uh, next year. So they are still making that run from here to Centralia three, four times a week. That's the voice of Mike Murphy, the publisher of Como Buzz. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation. I want to ask them why the county decided not to give ARPA money to the Opportunity Campus. That's a big story that nobody's talking about. So let's let's dive into that. When we come back, you're listening to the CEO Roundtable. I'm Fred Perry. You're listening to 93.9 The Eagle. About the pit barbecue. The band was jumping, the people too, ah, mess around, they're doing the mess around. Hi, this is the CEO Roundtable with Fred Perry on 93.9 The Eagle. And welcome back to the CEO Roundtable show. Fred Perry, your host, Mike Murphy, the publisher of Como Buzz, C-O-M-O-B-U-Z dot com. One of the things about the budget that was sort of slipped into your story, and uh, I, it's, it's 
Parks and Recreation is no longer funded by general revenue. It's all just it, the entirety of their budget comes from the Parks and Recreation tax. No, they've moved it out of the um, general uh, the operating fund because it is funded from three different directions, but it's still highly subsidized from the uh, the general fund. It's difficult to follow, and I haven't exactly figured it out. I've explained it the best I can, but. Uh, it, it it affects the finances very little. It affects how they report them. Mm-hmm. And um, good luck. Actually, the you know the city's budget is six hundred and fifty eight pages. Mm-hmm. It's it's enormous. Yeah. And uh, uh, they they started this last year and completed it this year. So it's the first year they've done it. And I tried pretty hard to follow and tie out what's going on with parks and recs. I don't think there's anything like bad or nefarious going on there. No, no. But uh but it's it but it's uh it has been pulled out of the general fund, although it is still subsidized by the general fund. Yeah. In fact, uh every once in a while you'll hear somebody I heard the mayor the other day trying to make it sound like parks and rec paid for itself. Parks and Recs definitely collects tons of fees, yeah. but it does not pay for itself. Well you know here's what's interesting and, and I realize I could lose my rhino card uh, and I could also be fired from the Eagle because I'm the only person here that has this opinion, but I think Parks and Recreation in Columbia is really very well run, mm-hmm. uh, very efficient, uh, and uh, contributes so much to the quality of life that we have here in Columbia, which quality of life is good for business. I, I totally agree with you. And and it is a well-run department. I have a lot of respect for Mike Griggs. I have a lot of respect for Gabe Huffington, and I, I like the way they run their shop, and it's probably the best-run, most well-run department in the city and uh the fact that they do at least attempt to cover their own cost is is something that's that's big but you know when here's what i worry about when the late great darwin hyman convinced the citizens of columbia to uh pass a parks tax um you know i i think there was a an understanding uh that was spoken uh that was articulated that the city is not going to cut their financial support for parks uh, we're only going to make our parks better because of this additional revenue that we're getting in. The question I have, and this would be a great job for one of your interns, but is the city's commitment to parks and recreation the same as it was before the parks tax got passed? So uh, have we just simply, are we spending more money in other departments and taking it away from parks and recreation? That's that's what I want to know. I I hope not, but I would bet you that's the case because that's what tends to happen. It always happens yeah. when you dedicate a sales tax. The shell game begins. Yep, yep. And, uh, oh, we'll just so take that money and put it somewhere else. I will we'll take spend a look. It on, we'll spend yeah. it. I will uh, see if uh, what I can uh, figure out there. And, I think and I know the answer, but it'd be uh, nice to have somebody back it up. Yeah, I don't doubt that you're right because mm-hmm. that just does always, always. It's too... It's impossibly uh, tempting to, when you have dedicated funds, you just, you reduce the funds from where they were coming from in the first yeah. place. So the $7 million question of the, of the month is this. Why did the county decide, you know, because it was widely reported by local media that the mm-hmm. county was going to contribute $6 million or some, some number yeah. like that yeah. uh, for this opportunity campus, which is going to be a, um, a very luxurious, um, I shouldn't say that, I'll, I'll just, I'll That's be true. factual. It's true. Uh, it's going to be a very expensive uh, $18 million homeless shelter. Up to 20 now. 
Up to twenty. I saw okay. some. I saw a revised uh, financial package on it the other day. Twenty. And, yeah. and there's been a lot of you know. I remember Mike in your early reporting when you we first launched Como Buzz. I remember that the the director Ed Stansberry, at Voluntary Action Center, he would not return your phone calls. He would right. not talk to you. He said that was none of your business. Correct. Essentially, he still believes that. Okay. <laughs> and so, well, there's nothing to report. He says, yeah. you know, well, yeah, when you're collecting public money, there's something to report. Yeah. Uh, there ought to be. And so. You know, I think that what disappoints me, and I, look, Columbia has become a magnet for the homeless population. I wish I could be more compassionate about the problem. You know what I mean? But it is such an irritant to small business owners in our community. It has made our community less safe. Uh, homeless people are coming to our community by by the dozens every day. And, um, and, you know, we have this weird accounting system where, oh, there's only 223 homeless people in our community. Give me a break. There's 223 people on the street corners in Columbia. You know, mm-hmm. where, where are these people coming from? You go out to the villages, you talk about private property rights, you, you look at all the private property where these squatters have moved to and you can't get them off your property. Um, so why, why did the county decide not to fund uh, the Opportunity Campus. I, I mean, kudos to the county commission for being brave enough to do that. Uh, is there something else going on that I don't know about? No. I, I, first of all, I'm not sure that we can say that they have decided not to fund it. They decided they did That's not. That's what I read in Como Buzz. Uh, they did not fund it in their first round. They they have they have they've only uh, they they've not fully dispersed all of their money. They've right. got plenty of those ARPA funds held back yet. And the two big losers were Boone Hospital yeah. and uh, probably thanks to you and uh, the Opportunity Campus. You know, and so but the Opportunity Campus thing really intrigues me. I think uh, my best guess is, and they won't they won't uh, they're taking the position that we're not going to talk about every every project that we didn't fund and why we didn't fund it, which that's their I guess their right to do. Uh, my best guess is is that there's there's concerns about um, the Opportunity Campus having its funding all in order. So they're going to get the three million from the city. I'm almost positive of that. I think you'll see that announcement uh, that that that's going to be out there that the city's going to come through. Now they got six million uh, that's been committed to them, or it's in the budget from the state, but that has not been appropriated. I think there's politics that go on who people who don't want to see this opportunity campus, uh, uh, come off that would like to see that money perhaps not be appropriated. Mm-hmm. So, so until they can get these commitments in place, I think the, the county is just taking the approach that, well, we're going to, we're going to hold off and see what happens here. Yeah. So I, I think that, uh, uh, Stansberry would tell you that he's going to raise this money and they're going to get this thing done. And I think over the course of the next just few weeks, we'll get a lot better indication about where he's at on that. Uh, so I don't think this is done with the county yet. Uh, uh, we'll see. Are private businesses contributing money to this? I think so, yeah. I, you think, know, I, I think they ought to publish that list because I, I think that uh, anybody who's doing business with a bank that is encouraging more homeless people to come to our community. I think that, you know, people need to know that in our community. Yeah, one of the problems is is the um, uh, Voluntary Action Center, and therefore the, who's going to be the sole owners of the Opportunity Campus, they're a private business. They're a 501c3 nonprofit, but there's no, we have no claim on their... There's no uh, public records? No, no. The only public record is going to be what... Would this, it be in the 990? Yeah, for what that's worth. Well, that'd be a great. Uh, that's another job for an intern. Uh, yeah, uh, publish that well, nine ninety. I will. They run two years behind for one thing. Yeah, uh, 
where you're really going to get it is the county or the city who's going to be funding their operations. That's what everybody forgets. They not only need $20 million to build a place, they need $1.5 million a year to run it. They're asking the county and the city to fund that. I would think that the county or the city will ask them for some financials before they'll commit that. You don't know, but yeah. I would assume that. And uh, uh, You know, most of these brutal. people on the... I, I don't think people realize this, that the, most of the people on the street corners that are asking for money, the, and they're the same people, you know, for the most part, uh, they're not homeless. You know, they're, no. they're, they're living in a local hotel here. And, yeah. you know, they... Uh, I mean, it is a great gig. And, you know, I, I don't mean to generalize, but I will tell you for a fact, that these folks are living in a local hotel and it's not uh it's these these panhandlers are not people who are living in tents out in the forest i have a lot more compassion for our homeless problem i really don't understand why we don't make more efforts to get those panhandlers off the corner they're a safety hazard yeah they're they're a blight uh and i i it's easier to give lip service to it mike well, than it is to do I, something about i don't it. think if, if i see a uh you know, I have this image of a very sorry-looking person who can't work and who's destitute and who's got his tin cup out, and I'd be inclined to put some change in it. But that's not what I see in the corners. I see able-bodied men who should be working someplace who now have their cups out. How do we ever get there? And then how can we get them off the corners? Because they are, they are. I, I do not believe they are uh, destitute, and I should be feeling sorry for them. I think that's they're great. And, and that is a fact, and I'm not saying that out of... Uh disregard or, or no empathy correct but again another project for an enterprising intern is follow these people around yeah and uh see what kind of car they climb into well i think uh, they're even organized the, i think i think yeah. they're even i mean well there's there obviously i know there's some tension over who gets to work what corner right you know and and so you that that has involved the police uh in this community uh again a great story for an enterprising mm -hmm. reporter but but where do these people go when they crawl back into their cars and uh and some of them are probably driving nicer cars than, than uh, you and I, but the bottom line is this, you know, we're not fixing the problem and I want to be compassionate and I really want to be focused. I want to be intentional, uh, but just throwing more money at the homeless problem in this community and using ARPA funds to do it is not helping. You know, it's uh, we're not creating economic opportunity for these folks. We're not really addressing the housing issue. It's not a housing issue. We're not addressing the mental health issue. And we're not addressing the substance abuse issue. That is really the lion's share of the reason why people are homeless. We have no comprehensive policy coming from City Hall on any of those issues. A year from now, with this new Department of Neighborhood Housing and Neighborhood Services, perhaps Council. Will, will have some initiative to hold some staff mm. accountable for some of these expenditures no. and initiatives. And, Do you uh, hear yourself? I'm recording. Yeah. This is being recorded. Did yeah. you know that? Yeah. Well, okay. we'll see in a year. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. All right. We're running out of time here. And I had a long list of things I really wanted to talk to you about. Tell me about renewable energy and this fallacy that Columbia can be 100% reliant on 100% on re sustainable renewable energy by a certain deadline. Uh, give us a, the latest on that. They can't. Uh, and they want to be. It's not just and the, the experts activity. are saying you can't. No, right. But the, it's being ignored by council members and the mayor. I, I, I hope not. Um, oh, it is though, right? Would you I, say it is? I, well, we're going to see shortly. The answer is what staff is saying is look this is impossible we all want to do it too we we want to be on renewables use as many renewables as we possibly can as fast as we can there's there's no nobody pushing back against that the problem is it's just not possible mm -hmm. in its place they have a silly ordinance in place they were pressured into doing or they decided it sounds good it's a it's virtue signaling there's this play that you can pretend you're getting there if you go buy carbon credits that equal 
your 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 emissions, your greenhouse emissions. You go buy these, you spend millions of dollars to buy these credits, and there's a market for this, so you get to say that you're reaching your goals when you're changing nothing. You're just spending money. Uh, this It sounds absurd. That's why I've written about it. When I write about it and put it out there, I think, who's going to believe this? But I'm telling you, they're considering it. And as we speak, this will be in front of council again soon. Uh, it's being talked about in the commissions. They've got price tags on it. Um, I, I can see them doing it if the if if the citizens who pay attention just don't pay attention. Uh, you know, they, they've already spent, you know, they, they said they're going to cap their over expenses on renewables at 3% and they're like $6 million over that in, in the last year. Um, they're, they're just in, in, and it's accomplishing nothing. People really need to be atten- pay attention that when somebody comes up to them and says, don't you agree we should be on a hundred percent renewable by 2030? They got to ask the next question is like, well, how would we do that? Just don't say yes because of the climate emergency. Yeah. Uh, I wish we had time to talk about the the police chief search. I I, I would ask you to make a prediction about the ethnic uh, uh, component of this and what social agenda our new police chief is going to bring to Columbia. But we don't have time. That's Mike Murphy. He is the publisher of Como Buzz, uh, C-O-M-O-B-U-Z dot com. You can check it out online. Please subscribe, folks. Support local journalism, especially this kind of journalism. This is Fred Perry. We're back uh, next week with Ori Hemi from the Home Builders Association where we talk about the parade of homes and what's happening in Columbia's housing market. It'll be a great show. Tune in. This is Fred Perry signing off for the CEO Roundtable. You've been listening to 93.9 The Eagle. This city is my city and I love it. Yeah, I love it.